This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Trash Talk with TK. I am TK Tom Kelly. In this episode, we'll talk about the Eagles' massive win over the Redskins on Monday night and their huge, huge game coming up this week in Dallas. Also touch on the Sixers. Uh, big game Wednesday night against the Toronto Raptors. We will discuss that and just how they've been playing lately, how things have been meshing since the Jimmy Butler trade and also a Phillies offseason update. Gene Segura, now a Philly, and what I think about the um, chances Manny Machado or Bryce Harper land in Philadelphia with the Phillies. Thank you for listening. Let's get started. The Eagles get an absolutely huge, huge win on Monday night at the link. Eagles now 6-6 six and six, uh, in what I think was the best and most encouraging game I've seen from this team all year. You know, you had the game against New York, the first game in New York, when the Eagles were 2-3 and three at the time, and everybody was calling that a must-win, and at the time it was. You know, it was a really important game um, for the Eagles to get back on track. Subsequently, uh, things didn't go as planned after that with the blown lead the following week against Carolina, but the Eagles played pretty well in that game all around. That one's tough to judge because at the time, the Giants were playing so bad. Giants are playing a little better now. They've won three of four. They haven't really beaten anybody. They beat uh, Chicago in one of those games. So that was Chicago led by Chase Daniel. And Chase Daniel's not an NFL quarterback. Uh, is it, which, by the way, thank God for Howie Roseman. Thank God Howie Roseman had the foresight to realize that if something happened to Carson Wentz, Chase Daniel would not be good enough to get it done and replace him with Nick Foles before last year. But uh, to that point... Chase Daniel's not an NFL quarterback, so the Giants have won three of their last four with the exception of the Eagles game, but they haven't really beaten anybody formidable in that span. But the Giants are a talented team that is playing a little better now than they were at that point. Now, now, when you look at Monday night, you might say, well, the Redskins aren't that formidable of an opponent either, especially considering three-quarters of that game were played with Mark Sanchez behind center. And I understand that point. Uh, Mark Sanchez, who I'm not going to lie, I actually kind of feel bad for Mark Sanchez. I think it, it, he he has become just such a laughing stock where everybody just, you know, makes him out to be the worst quarterback in the history of the world. He's not that bad. I mean, he's he's not a starter in the NFL. But I think if Mark Sanchez is in a system and has some time, can be a, a fine backup. I mean, you saw it here a few years ago. He played pretty well in 2014 um, for the most part. But, you know, that was a, a situation that was an impossible situation for him to be in, impossible situation for Jay Gruden to to make Mark Sanchez look good. And when he's been in that system for all, what, 10 days heading into that game, and all of a sudden he's playing in a major primetime game on the road uh, in a division game against a, a, a hostile, in a hostile environment against um, a, a playoff contending football team in the Eagles. But 
That being said, and the fact that Washington was not at full strength and and wasn't the most formidable opponent, I was still impressed by what I saw. And it's less about what the Eagles did on the defensive side of the ball, because that's honestly what they should do. They, they're getting a little healthier. They're still banged up. But against Mark Sanchez, who hasn't had any time in the system, Washington is so ravaged on that offensive line, you would expect the Eagles to take care of business relatively easily on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what they did, with the exception of the one 90-yard run from Adrian Peterson, which at the time was infuriating. The defense played very well, what you'd expect. But what I was most encouraged by was the other side of the ball. You know, that is, for all their their injuries and their issues right now offensively, that is a Washington team that is pretty healthy and, and, and close to full strength on the defensive side of the football. And they have a pretty good defense. Their defense has done a nice job throughout this year um, against several good offenses. You know, they, they, they held Green Bay down. Green Bay obviously has gone downhill recently, but this was earlier in the season when Green Bay was playing well. Washington held them down in that game. Washington um, held Carolina, I believe, under 20 points at home. You know, their defense is not bad. And I was encouraged by the fact that the Eagles moved the ball in that game better than they've moved it all year. And there's really not much debate about that. I mean, the Eagles had two punts uh, early in the game after they had, they had the drive for the touchdown on the first drive. And then I believe they punted on their next two possessions. I'm not sure they punted again after that. And yeah, you had your missteps, you had your mistakes. Um, getting stopped on the fourth and goal was uh, very frustrating. The interception by Carson Wentz down on the goal line on the Eagles' first drive in the second half was unacceptable, and he can't make that throw. He's uh, uh, you know, just try, zeroed in on Alshon Jeffrey trying to force him that ball. He can't do that. But aside from those two mistakes, which are correctable where the Eagles, you know, you, you get two more yards and you put up 14 more points. But the fact that the Eagles move the ball so effectively and so easily in this game, and really for the first time this year, the offense looked similar to what you saw last season. And even when they have scored points this year, it hasn't looked like that. It hasn't looked like, because they go in stretches during games where they just can't get anything going and they need to, you know, go back to the drawing board and and rework some things. That wasn't the case in this game. From really the beginning of the game until the end, they moved the ball extremely effectively against a good defense. They ran it well. Carson Wentz moved in the pocket, created plays with his legs, um, buying extra time, finding guys. Golden Tate finally looked a part of this offense where, you know, I, I think the Eagles really tried doing too much when they acquired him in terms of forcing him into the offense and forcing the issue with Golden Tate and trying to just like force feed him too much. But in this game, you didn't feel that way. I mean, Golden Tate was effective and he was effective in the sense that 
he he functioned within the frame of the offense. You know, he just fit into the offense in this game. It wasn't it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel like like Doug Peterson was just trying to force Golden Tate the ball to give him something to do. Golden Tate as he's learned the offense a little more, as he's gotten more chemistry with Carson Wentz, as the Eagles coaches I think have have learned how to utilize him more. You could tell that's the case. And he was much more effective and much more much more just easily fit more into the offense in this game. And you still had Zach Ertz being highly productive. Alshon Jeffrey made a few catches. Would like to see Alshon get the ball a little more. And I think Carson Wentz, um, that I think that was the main motivation on the interception down by the goal line is I think Carson Wentz was trying to force it into Alshon because, you know, I, I there could be some things going on where Alshon's not not that happy with his usage right now. But, you know, you can't force a ball like that. I'd like to see Alshon get more involved, but you got to take what the defense gives you. And I think for the most part, aside from that play, Carson Wentz did a very good job of that in this game. And I was very, very encouraged by the way the offense played. The offensive line, I thought it was, you know, quite possibly their best game of the year. They kept Carson clean for the most part. They ran the ball effectively. And it gives you a lot of confidence going into uh, what's just a, a massive game this week. Eagles going to Dallas to play the Cowboys. And they met here about a month ago. And things did not go well. And I I didn't like the feel going into that game. I know going into that game, everybody felt like the Eagles were going to blow Dallas out. And, and you know, I understand that that mindset at the time. Dallas was coming off a dreadful Monday night loss against Tennessee, where it looked like if the Eagles beat them, Jason Garrett might have gotten fired the next day. And the Eagles were coming off a bye. And it seemed set up for the Eagles to dominate. But, hey, I, I, I don't know if the Eagles' mindset was in the correct uh, spot for that game because you heard a lot of players talking during the week about, you know, how they don't like the Cowboys and, and you know, just just trash talk that didn't need to be there. That, you know, why would you give a team that kind of bulletin board material? And I didn't like when the Eagles were doing that leading up to that game. And it turned out that, you know, Dallas looked more prepared to play, whether that played into it or not. But, there's no doubt this time the Eagles have full respect for that Dallas team. And they should because they're playing well. I mean, Dallas, since then, the that that win over the Eagles has springboarded their season. That was the first of four straight wins. Obviously, their most recent one coming last Thursday night against the Saints in which they, they neutralized that New Orleans offense. It was an impressive performance. That's why it was so encouraging to see the, off, the Eagles offense move so proficiently in that Washington game. Because the Eagles are going to need to play their best game to beat the Dallas Cowboys. That defense is playing at that high a level right now. Their two young linebackers, Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch, are, are, are making plays all over the place. I mean, they are flying around. They are making plays all over the field. And the Eagles are going to need to find a way to neutralize those players. Um, I have been a big, uh, you know, not, not, not saying the Eagles shouldn't run the ball, but I think the idea of how much they should run it has been overplayed. I think it always is in this town when the offense isn't playing well. I just think because the, you know, we remember Andy Reid and his, his proclivities to throw the ball. 
that we always would just beg to run the ball more. And I feel like if the offense isn't moved more efficiently, everybody just says run the ball more. It's the answer to all the problems. That's not always the case. But I do think in this game, a way to neutralize Dallas, and they do have a good front, but a way to neutralize them is, is if you can be creative in the run game, run the ball effectively, make them adjust, make them bring those extra men into the box, and then you get man coverage, and you can take advantage. Their corners are decent. They're not great. And I think that's where the Eagles can take advantage. They can run the ball effectively and force Dallas into playing man coverage. I think there are a lot of things the Eagles can take advantage of offensively. And I do think the Eagles can can win this football game. And this is such an important game for the rest of their season. The wild card is back in play. If the Eagles don't win the division, I mean, the Eagles could win this game, and if Dallas wins out, the Eagles still will not win the NFC East, most likely, unless the Eagles also win out. But you'd assume between the Rams and Texans, one of those could very easily uh, be a loss. But if the Eagles win this game, not only for the division, but for the wild card, they would put themselves in such a good position. And I think the Eagles can win this game. Defensively, it's all about stopping 21. It's all about stopping 21. I still don't believe Dak Prescott is that great. I really don't. He's played better of late. But Dak Prescott is not a guy that's going to beat you. Dallas beats you when they can run the ball and they throw off it, which is what I think the Eagles should should approach should be offensively in this game. And that's really when Dallas's offense got moving against the Eagles the first time around. Is the Eagles, for the most part, played good defense the first half of that game. They had Dallas held to six points until they converted a, a third and 17 on a screen right before half and went down, scored a touchdown before halftime. And then the second half, Dallas's offense moved the ball effectively because Zeke Elliott got going. And the Eagles were unable to stop him. If you stop him and you make them one-dimensional and you make Dak Prescott beat you, I don't think he can do it. Even against this Eagles secondary that's a little undermanned, I don't think he can do it. Hopefully the Eagles get Avante Maddox back. I think Avante Maddox... Um, will replace Corey Graham in the secondary. I, I think Craven LeBlanc has played well enough to where you can feel comfortable leaving him in the nickel. Uh, I'd rather leave him in and take Corey Graham out and put Avanti Maddox back at safety. I think that is the way you go instead of um, putting Maddox in the in the nickel and moving LeBlanc out because Corey Graham's done. At least LeBlanc, I feel a little comfortable with the fact these guys played a little bit in this league and he's done okay. He's really done okay uh, these last couple weeks that he's been in there. But a huge game for the Eagles this week. Massive must win. And this, you know, I think the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry can be overhyped sometimes in terms of, oh, I hate the Cowboys, all this stuff. Well, this is when Eagles-Cowboys is at its best. Late in the season, meaningful game, division likely on the line. The Eagles get this win, not only the wildcard, but the division is right back in their hands. And it would be great. What a great win this would be to go down to Dallas and get it on the road. I can't wait. I'll give you my prediction um, when I'm on WIP this weekend, 1-2 to two in the afternoon. But an unbelievable matchup, and I just, I cannot wait for Sunday. Now let's talk about the surging Sixers and a huge game tonight against Toronto. Now we'll talk a little bit about the Sixers. Sixers surging. They've won five in a row. They have just been a completely 
different team uh, since the Jimmy Butler trade. They, they had the bad Cleveland loss in there and the loss to Orlando in Jimmy Butler's opening game. But you can tell over the last couple weeks, this team, every time they play, the chemistry improves. And Jimmy Butler, um, you know, he's only been here a couple weeks, but he seems to be fitting in perfectly. And I don't know what happened in Minnesota. And we'll never know exactly who was to blame for that situation. I mean, Jimmy Butler probably could have handled things better, uh, but, you know, he he didn't like the mindset of Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, um, but he doesn't seem to be having any problems with anybody in this locker room. I mean, he is getting along beautifully with Ben Simmons, uh, Joel Embiid. Things seem to be working out uh, very well in the short term. Obviously, on the floor, he is a game changer. Just the Sixers needed somebody else Besides Joel Embiid, they could create their own shot. They could go to it end of games. You know, just just another top-level scorer. And, you know, I joke a lot about Robert Covington. Robert Covington is a nice player. He is. He's a nice player in this league. But he's, he's you know, nothing offensively that's special. And when he's not making his shots, he's a total zero offensively. So you replace him with a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is just such... A, 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 a tremendous player on both ends of the floor. Uh, defensively, uh, Jimmy Butler said, and the rest of the Sixers have said, that that's where the adjustments are going to come in. Because offensively, the team just has so much talent that, that they'll figure it out. Defensively is where the, the chemistry is going to need to grow, where it's going to take a little time. It's looked better over the past week or so. Because when Jimmy Butler first got here, they were just giving up way too many points. They were giving up way too many points, miscommunications, things just not functioning properly. But but that seems to have improved and will continue to improve the more this team plays together. And with Jimmy Butler, they are a legit contender. Uh, They're a legit contender to win the Eastern Conference. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, when I look around the scope of the Eastern Conference, you know, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, this is before the Toronto game, and Toronto is the only team right now that I look at, and I say they're definitively better than the Sixers right now. And how much better? Who knows? I mean, right now they're better. It doesn't mean they're going to be better in April or May. You know, the Sixers are going to add more to this roster. But as constructed right now, I really like where they're at. I think they're better than Milwaukee. I think they're playing better than Boston right now. I expect Boston will improve. But Jimmy Butler has made them a a legitimate contender. And when you look at the way this roster is constructed, you got to give Elton Brand and the front office a lot of credit. I mean, yeah, there are places they're going to need to improve. Their bench needs to get better, and they will improve the bench. There's no doubt. I mean, Ilyasova and Bellinelli both came in on buyouts. That buyout market is always going to be strong. It's always going to be active. There are always going to be guys that you can go out and and look to acquire to help your team down the stretch. But, um, you know, I've liked what Mike Muscal has given you. You know, he, he you knew he's a shooter. He'd stretch the floor a little bit. But he's a better defensive player than I had thought. You know, he's not bad inside. You can live with him. And I, the more... This goes on the more I'd like to see him take those backup center minutes from Amir Johnson because Amir Johnson's just done, you know, and um, I 
would like to keep him on the bench as much as possible. Um, TJ McConnell, TJ McConnell replacing Markel Fultz as your backup point guard has helped tremendously. And you know, the whole Markel Fultz thing is just ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a joke. Um, now he's got this, this theoretic syndrome. I don't know what, what it is, whatever. Um, I think it's a made up injury. I don't think it's real. I think this is just another thing to cover up for Markel Fultz and the fact that he's got the yips, but you know, as far as what to do with him, I, 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 I would be fine just getting rid of him. But on the floor, TJ McConnell has made you a better team. TJ McConnell makes you a better team. He's a better player right now. He does everything better than Markel Fultz. And I I think that's been part of the defense improving, is TJ being um, the backup point guard. Just, just gives you more energy off the bench. I mean, it looks like they really hit on a, on a pick in Landry Shamit. Landry Shamit's a nice role player, really good shooter who is getting picked on a little defensively, but that's an area where I'll improve. But I really like what I'm seeing from this team right now. They're going to be difficult to score with. They're going to be difficult to score with, especially when Ben Simmons is playing at a high level, which Ben Simmons has looked a lot better recently. I still would like to see him shoot a little more from the mid-range and get better at those shots, but he gets the rim so effectively. Him and Jimmy Butler are learning to play with one another, and... You just see the chemistry with this team increasing every time they go out on the floor. I'm really excited to see this game tonight in Toronto, which is, you know, as far as, you know, early season NBA games go, there aren't a lot of them. This is one of them. This is a game that'll get, at least give you a, an idea of where you stand in the conference right now. Because right now, Toronto's 20-4. and four. They're the best team in, in the East, without a doubt. They're the team that you need to measure yourself against in the Eastern Conference as you look to make an NBA Finals appearance. And right now, I think these are the two top teams in the East. The Sixers will get better. The Sixers will add more to the roster. And the Sixers will improve with the guys they already have. So I I can't wait to watch this game and see how it plays out. I love what I've seen from the Sixers lately. And I think they're, they're, they're a legitimate contender with Jimmy Butler. Whereas I, uh, they really weren't before. We hoped they would be. They weren't. They were not a legit contender without Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler has added so much to this team, and he really makes them a, a legitimate threat now to win the Eastern Conference. Now to wrap up here, I just want to talk about the Phillies. Um, interesting week for them. They trade for Gene Segura from Seattle. I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched this guy play much. I don't watch much Mariners baseball. I don't watch much uh, baseball at all that doesn't involve the Phillies during the regular season. I love the playoffs, but regular season baseball just doesn't do it for me, especially not Mariners playing at uh, midnight. So I haven't seen this guy play much. I've heard he's, uh, you know, solid shortstop, hit over 300 last year, two-time All-Star, should be a good addition. I I had hopes for J.P. Crawford. I thought J.P. Crawford was going to be a player, and I still think he has a chance to be, but hey, he wasn't able to stay healthy, and that's the biggest thing. You know, J.P. Crawford got his opportunity last year, would have been um, gotten a lot of playing time, but he just couldn't stay healthy last year. And I, I applaud the Phillies for for making an aggressive move. I mean, and and admitting a wrong. I know some people say Carlos Santana was good last year. He, he was okay, maybe. But Carlos Santana, yeah, his on-base percentage may have been good and, and he may have drawn a lot of walks, but that wasn't what you needed from him. That wasn't what you paid him for to do. You paid Carlos Santana uh, to come in here and drive in runs, you know, and he didn't do enough of that. And 
Obviously, the Reese Hoskins experiment out in left field was a disaster. It just didn't work out. This way, you, you kind of get a couple things done. I don't love the idea of giving up Crawford, but I think you kind of had to to advance this process moving forward, which the Phillies are obviously looking to do. So you get Segura. You move Hoskins back to first. You're kind of um, solidifying that infield a little bit. And now, obviously, things turn to, to what happens with Harper and Machado. First, uh, Patrick Corbin, I'm I'm fine with the Phillies passing on him. The contract he got was pretty extreme. It would have been exciting to get a guy like that in here. But I, I don't agree with the premise, especially in baseball these days, where it's so built off matchups and going to the bullpens, and especially the, a manager like Gabe, who likes to make his pitching matchups, likes to uh, play the matchups, you know, paying a starter that kind of money when, you know, on a given night, if Gabe's kind of trying to win the moment, as he says, this guy might go three and a third. And if the matchup isn't what he likes or he likes a better matchup out of the bullpen, that could be it for Corbin. So I, I am fine with not giving that kind of money. I don't think in this day and age in baseball it's that wise to to commit that kind of money to a starter. Or if you are, you know, maybe commit to just one because you got to think about the fact that the Phillies down the line, they're going to have to give that big money starter contract to Aaron Nola. So do you really want Aaron Nola to be making a ton of money and Patrick Corbin to be making a ton? It doesn't make financial sense. I've always thought, and especially with the way baseball has trended recently with the the innovations and more of... um. The, the bullpen games and playing the matchups that it's smarter to pay position players, pay hitters. They're the guys you've been going after. And now this comes to Manny Machado or, or Bryce Harper. And I'm still confident the Phillies can land one of these guys. Um, there's been a lot more chatter recently about Harper going back to Washington. I'm hoping the Corbin signing takes them out of that game. And Harper met with Magic Johnson the other day in Vegas, which you worry about maybe the appeal of playing in L.A., playing for the Dodgers, could sway Bryce Harper, um, a couple other teams in the mix, but I'm still confident in the Phillies' chances to get him. I am. I'm still confident in the Phillies' odds to land Bryce Harper. I do think that's their top target. I think they are, they're, they're engaged with Machado, but Machado is not going to go until after Harper goes because they're, they're, they're intertwined. A lot of the people who were in on Machado, their first goal is to get Harper. And yeah, they play much different positions, but you just nobody has the money to sign both those players. So everybody is seeing what happens with Harper first, who I think universally is the more desirable player to land. And that is what the Phillies are doing as well. The Phillies are pursuing Harper. They're seeing how that all plays out. And I would expect if they do lose out on him, I would expect a quick pivot, and I'd expect them to to pursue Manny Machado. And I'd be fine with Manny Machado. I know a lot of people um, don't want him after the antics in the playoffs, and I was turned off by it. I'm not going to say I was pleased by the way he acted. I thought it was um, idiotic on his part, to be honest with you. I think it probably cost him some money. But if you don't get Bryce Harper, I'd rather sign Manny Machado and do nothing. And you put Manny Machado at third, and then you got Segura, Machado, Hoskins, and then whoever at second base. I think you'd probably trade Cesar Hernandez and stick Scott Kingery there. And all of a sudden, if Kingery develops the way we still think he's going to develop, all of a sudden, that's a hell of an infield to throw out there. And then you figure it out in the outfield down the line. 
but I think Harper's the top option. And I'd also rather sign Harper in regards to, uh, I'm unlike most, where I'm not ready to give up on Michael Franco yet. I still think Michael Franco can be a, a an above-average hitter in this league, a, a nice power guy in your lineup. He had, he had six great weeks there in, in 2018, and maybe I'm focused too much on that and not focusing on the rest of the season, but it's tantalizing. When you see the potential of Franco and when he does get in these hot stretches, the fact that he can be a really productive power hitter, and especially in today's major leagues where it is about power. It's about having as many guys in your lineup who can hit the ball out of the ballpark and drive in runs as possible. I mean, you put Machado in there, you 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 have uh, Franco at third where there's less pressure on him in a lineup with Harper joining Hoskins. It would be very exciting. So we'll see how things move here. The winter meeting's coming up. Things should finally start to happen after that. But the Phillies, I like the Segura move, and I still feel good about Bryce Harper. I still feel good about Bryce Harper being a Philly when this is all said and done. And that'll do it with trash talk for Trash Talk. With TK, I'm Tom Kelly. You can listen to me. I'll be on the air on WIP this Saturday afternoon, 1 to 2 in the afternoon after Glenn and Ray and before the Army-Navy game. So be sure to listen then. I'll talk to you guys next time. See ya. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.